So like many of you, there are things in life that once you start watching them, you can't look away. Maybe that's true for you. I know it's true for me. And here's what I mean. Um, maybe you've noticed that when there are accidents on the side of the road, um, people don't seem to stop driving. Have you noticed this? Like they, oh, they actually do stop driving. They stop driving and they look. They almost cause more accidents because they're gawking at what's happened beside them, right? We see this all the time. It's like you can't look away. Other things, right? I mean, whatever it is for you that you can't look away from. Um, I find myself not being able to look away from like when people fall, like on America's Funniest Home Videos. If someone shows clips of people falling or getting hit, I know it's awful and I shouldn't laugh, but I can't stop. And so I was thinking about that today as thinking about things that you can't stop watching. And so this clip came to mind that my wife sent me years ago. And so I'm going to show it to you now. So here's a clip of someone. No one got hurt that way as far as we know. The latest fashions are on the runway for next spring. But there was a problem out there today. One of the British designer's shows had the difficulty. A model fell down twice. That's her going down once. A young woman wearing that pink skirt and the orange platform shoes. Never quite recovered after that. There she goes. <laughs> that had to hurt. That was uncool. That's embarrassing. This is at least the second time. <laughs> well, you all are just really tickled by that, aren't you? You try walking in those shoes. Hey, first of all, baby, I got enough meat on me that it's all right. George. <laughs> I'm sorry. Come we, on, girl. We want to apologize. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you want to tell You want me to be a sport? You're a dog. I know we're not supposed to laugh at other people, but that's funny. You have to admit. Right, but what did you go to see? So I think about this, right? If you've ever driven to the UP, you cross the bridge, and, and there's that sign that says mystery spot. They've never gotten me with whatever that mystery spot is. Maybe they've gotten you. I don't know where it is, but what did you go to see? So if I showed up there, I'd go, what did I go to see? This is the reality of the first century world for a guy named John the Baptist. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 3, the first 12 verses, and John was out in the wilderness, and people were going to see him. And they're going for all different kinds of reasons. Some people were going because they believed what the guy had to say. They, they heard about his message. Some went just to see who is this guy. Others went because they didn't like what he had to say and wanted to be there. And so this is the reality for us is what is it we go to see? What do we expect during the Christmas season? Right? Some backstory as we think about that particular story. I would say it this way. Um, the people of God, Israel, has been waiting for generations for God to speak in a way that they would know God was speaking. They longed to have a prophet like they did of old. They longed for God to redeem their people. They had been conquered by empire after empire after nation after nation. And again, the Romans were the ones in charge. Now, as they're longing for God to send his Savior, his Messiah, the one that's going to redeem these people and restore them to what they believed God desired to do. And so they go out to the wilderness because John is speaking with authority in ways that they had not heard for generations. They thought just maybe God is doing something new that he hasn't done in a long time. The people showed up, and just like in other times, they couldn't look away. 
They kept going out to the wilderness to hear what this guy had to say. And here's what we find in Matthew chapter 3, the first 12 verses say this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's speaking a message that resonated with some people in his day. They've been longing for God to do something different, and they knew it wasn't working for them. And so John tells this message about this one who is to come. We would know him as Jesus. John's saying, hey, when he comes, he's so much greater than I am. He's something beyond what you could ever comprehend or imagine. And in fact, what he does is John takes a particular message and he gives it to the people. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus takes the same message, edits it, and repurposes it in even greater ways. You see, all throughout the nation of Israel, they were known what they were called to live for. They were to embrace what we've called the Shemots in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because until you tell your children about it in all kinds of other ways that we're called to embrace that. But to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In other words, with all that you are. The problem for the people of Israel, not unlike us, is they loved lots of things. Sometimes they love God. Sometimes they love stuff. Sometimes they love their position. Sometimes they love where they live. Sometimes they love their authority, whatever it might be. So for people who were struggling, John's message was good news, that your background, where you had come from, didn't matter. And so he calls people to a life of repentance. Now, to repent means to turn away from something, to live to be living one way, but turn and live radically different. To turn towards something else. Repentance is a commitment to a new way of life. But for some of them, repentance didn't seem like something I wanted to do because it didn't fit. But real repentance requires a change of heart and life. For some, if the system works for me, I don't need to repent. And then he, John uses these words, he says this, he said, make straight paths. Right, what does that mean? Well, here's how I would, I would phrase this, right? So in the ancient world, um, probably not unlike Michigan, the roads weren't great. Maybe you've noticed that too. Um, 
But in the ancient world, roads weren't great. And so when the king would be coming to town, the people from that town would go out into the wilderness to the roadways, and they would clean up the roads. They would repair them, right? So it's this idea that John's quoting from Isaiah where we would knock down mountains and raise up valleys. We would make level roads so the king could come. What John is saying is the king is coming. It's time for us to do our role to make straight paths for this king to raise up valleys and knock down mountains. And, and so they go out to hear this guy speaking in the wilderness. And it's not just that John had a message, but John in and in, in of himself is a message. Right? The, the messenger also tells a message often. And so John... He's on the wilderness and he's teaching. And, and, and I know often the Pharisees and Sadducees get a bad rap, and, and sometimes rightfully so. But the truth is there were many who committed to following Jesus and lived good lives and, and were committed to being faithful people. But for many others, they were committed to the world as they knew it. Why? Because their power, their political influence, their wealth, their position, it worked for them. So why would I want to upset the apple cart? Why would I want to mess something up? Because we've partnered with Rome in ways that work for me. And here's this guy out in the wilderness saying, hey, I don't care about your background. I don't care where you have come from. I don't care what your position is. I don't care who you think you are. None of that matters. Well, you can imagine how well that would go over. And see, John is this guy who says, I don't care about your power, your political influence, or your wealth. I don't care. But let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you the life he invites you to. It's the words Jesus would say, it's the life that leads to life. And so John's out there preaching this message. And, and John is the antithesis of the Pharisees and Sadducees who would come to hear him in that way, right? John literally dressed in ways of the prophet Elijah. He wore um, camel's hair and a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild honey. I mean, the dude was kind of wild. And yet... His message pointed beyond himself. And one of the coolest parts about John is he didn't think too highly of himself. He thought incredibly highly of Jesus, but he didn't think too highly of himself. And John's inviting people to this new way of life, this way of life centered in the knowing of Jesus. And he's calling people to this revolutionary idea, and he, he gives them a phrase. He says this to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, how you live does matter in God's kingdom. If you're one of God's people, how you live matters. And so he says this, you know, here, by the way, to those of you gathered out in the wilderness, just because you're from the family of Abraham, just because you're part of this nation, just because you grew up here, doesn't mean anything. Do you live a life that bears fruit? But what does, that, what does that mean for us? Well, here's the good news for us, right? I don't care where you have come from or what you have done. Your past does not have to define you. The good news is this. God's people are those that live lives that bear fruit. And that fruit comes from confession and repentance. So it's, it's amazing if you have a story where your family has brought you into the life of the church. Celebrate that. Remember that. Be thankful for that. But I've got good news for you today. If that's not your story, it doesn't matter. You're just as welcome in God's kingdom as you are. 
And see, the problem for people in Jesus' day is just like our day, is most of us are drawn to what we already know. I, I know that's shocking that we would say we're drawn to the things that we already know, but, but just we kind of are. But Jesus comes and says through John, like, I've got this new message for you, this new idea of who God's people are. And so maybe what is good news for you t- today is this. Where you're from is not nearly as important as who you are or where you're going. Where you're from, your past, doesn't have to define your present or your future. John is in the wilderness calling to people and going, hey, who you have been, what you have done, what you have experienced, who your parents are, those things do not have to be the defining characteristics of your life. Let me tell you about the one who can reorient you and change you so you can be radically different. But the problem for many of us is we have a picture of who Jesus is that we want to control and keep and own. And what we find in the Gospels is that Jesus comes to a people who are longing for this idea that, that God was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And they get something radically different. He does overthrow the Roman Empire, but he does it way different than any other empire has ever been overthrown. In fact, I love the picture that Isaiah gives. Um, in chapter 11, he writes these words that kind of give us a picture of what God's kingdom looks like. And Isaiah says this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. That is not the way of the world in which we live. I don't see lions laying down with lambs. I don't see kids putting their hands in snake pits and it being okay. But it is the way of the kingdom of God. I mean, this is tough for the imaginations of the first century. It's tough for our imaginations today. And Jesus doesn't call us just to imagine a world like this. He calls us to live into this world. And so John is trying to paint a new picture for his hearers, a picture that doesn't, he doesn't even fully see himself, right? We, we know this because later on, John, when he's in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus and he goes, hey, are you the one? Right? We've been waiting for generations for God to do some new thing. Are you the one that's doing this new thing or not? Because I thought, like everybody else, you're going to come and you're going to, like, destroy stuff. 
but you're not. And I'm in prison. Are you the one? And Jesus responds to him and says this, like, yeah, I'm the one. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, right? Like, oh, okay, he quotes scripture to John, and John has a sense of peace in the midst of that. But why is it so hard? Why is John's message hard? Why is Jesus' message hard? Why is this message hard for us because of this? Jesus is not the Savior we or the first century wanted. But he is the one the world desperately needs. Right? When we paint pictures of what Jesus looks like in our own mind, um, we often recreate someone in our own image. This is not new. This is something that's happened for generations and generations. In fact, um, the temptation is to recreate Jesus in our image. Voltaire, a French philosopher, uh, he's, he's quoted with this, right? In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. So what does that mean? What do you mean by that? I could use other words from Isaiah 53 when, when Isaiah records this. He said, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Even the scriptures say people are gonna, Jesus is going to come. The Messiah will come to save people. And people are going to see him and go, eh, I'm going to wait for the next guy. I think I like him more. Right? We've seen this all throughout history. Right? We, we know there's some great artists who've depicted Jesus in ways that we go, wow, that's just beautiful and that's helpful. And, and so um, we don't know what to do with some of that. But I, I want to show you just a few images of Jesus. And I'm going to show you these images not because I, I mean, I am going to mock them, but bear with me. Um, because we recreate him in our own image. And so here's the first picture of Jesus. Um, this is jacked Jesus. Right, he's been in the gym a little bit, and so right, we recreate Jesus in our own image, and, and so we think Jesus is going to be ripped. So this is one. Um, there's the revolutionary Jesus because we know Jesus is a revolutionary. He is, just not in the ways of the world. We like this picture, right? We we kind of like the way idea of this, right? He's not that. Sometimes we see Jesus, and he's kind of spooky, or he's glowing, right? This is next one, right? The glowing Jesus. Um, he's so other that we don't know what to do with him because he's so distant. Like, he's just not like us at all. And so he's out there, and we don't know what to do with him. Um, and there's the, the really good-looking Jesus, the model Jesus. Could be in commercials. It is a screenshot from a commercial. No, um, it really is. I think it's from The Chosen, the show, right? So Jesus is looking really good. Um, and then there's the Jesus, like what we try to fit him into our lifestyle, the Wall Street Jesus. Right, we just put a tie on him. He's like all about leadership, and, and it's just, hey, we're going to do this. So he's the guy on Wall Street. Uh, and then there's some better ones that I'm going to, ah, bear with me. That, so this one's called The Head of Christ by Walter Salmon. You've seen this all over. It's also known as Shampoo Commercial Jesus or The Bearded Lady. I didn't make those up. Those are not mine. Or again, The Light of the World by Walter Holman Hunt. Um, this is the one also known as Richard the Lionheart. And these are some of the, those, the last two are, are good pictures from history. But what I would also say is this. They're still not Jesus. They're our best depiction. But, but here's a picture from a BBC documentary uh, called The Son of God. And it's not necessarily Jesus, but this is a skull from a first century Galilean been recreated. So this would look a lot more like Jesus than anything else I just showed you. 
But most of us don't think about Jesus in that way. We recreate him in ways and images that look like us. Not because we don't want to love him or know him, but because it's easier for us to understand. We're drawn to things or people that we already know. When we begin to say, hey, this first century Galilean, this first century Jewish carpenter is the one we are believing is the son of God. It reorients our mind in a way that we go, huh. Right? We really want kind of a combination of jacked and revolutionary Jesus. That's what they wanted in the first century. They really want a combination of those two. And we probably, if we're honest, we might still in some ways. But that is not what we find in the scriptures. It is not the picture we find in the Gospels. What we find is Jesus didn't come to restore a nation. He came to bring a new kingdom. And that's good news for you and I and the whole world. I don't know if you've noticed this, but all the systems of the world don't seem to work. But God wants to usher in something so radically new, he sends his son into the midst of the world and says, hey, you can keep trying all you want, but you're never going to find life. You're never going to find fullness. You're never going to find hope. You're never going to find peace unless you find it in me. And so John is preaching this message in the wilderness saying, do you want to know the one who longs for you to embrace confession and repentance as a way of life? That he invites you right to confess is to acknowledge what we have done wrong. It is to acknowledge our sin or our brokenness. And to repent is to change. And so John is in the wilderness preaching this message. Hey, if you'll acknowledge what you have done and you will live and desire to change, God will redeem and restore you. And then he uses this phrase. He says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John pointed beyond himself. In fact, he uses a word here. Um, he uses the word the spirit. Is the word pneuma? It's a Greek word. Um, and in the in Hebrew, the word is ruach. It's the same word we'd find in Genesis chapter 1. It's the same word that breathed life into people in Genesis' story. And if I were to read from verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, it says this, Now the earth was formless and empty, or formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit, the ruach of God, was hovering over the waters. So we don't get the, the Genesis story great, right? We, we miss some things because we're not Hebrew, and we didn't grow up in in first century and early ancient days where they really talked about this a lot, but we would miss that, that their understanding of the creation story was this, that, the, that everything was formless and void. It was chaos. And water was, and I mean, in our day, if we're honest, like we, we think we can control water, but water's pretty uncontrollable. Have you noticed that? When, when it starts getting into your house, you can't stop it. You try to figure out where it's coming from and you do everything you can, but water represents chaos and destruction. So the Hebrews would have seen this Genesis story, this idea that when the Spirit of God, the Ruach, the breath of God comes, it takes what is chaos, water, and it brings order. It breathes life. What John is saying here as he's baptizing in the Jordan is this, that when your life is chaotic, when it feels like it is a mess, when you feel like there is no order and when you have no peace, 
You can know the one who can bring peace in the midst of chaos. You can know the one who can breathe life into you in the midst of your brokenness. You can know the one who can redeem and restore and make new. Jesus wants you and I to know that peace. John is thought as a crazy man out in the wilderness because he desperately longs for people to know the Ruach, the Numa, the breath, the spirit of God in such a way that it breathes life into us. And maybe, just maybe, we'll begin to recognize today is the second Sunday of Advent. It's the Sunday of peace. Maybe, just maybe, if your life feels disordered or chaotic or a mess, maybe you'd recognize today with me that God wants to give you his peace. The very Spirit of God wants to come to you and I and go, hey, I'm not promising that your life won't have some chaos in it because nowhere is that in the Bible. But what I'm promising you is this, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the turbulence, in the midst of the water being a mess, I will give you my peace. My presence will be with you so that no matter what you experience, no matter what you go through, I will be with you and my breath of life will be your comes back to what John's saying from the wilderness. I don't care about your past. I don't care what you have gone through. None of it matters to me. But if you're people who embrace confession and repentance, I will give you this life that leads to life, that when your life is chaotic and a mess, you will know a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that can only come from the one that is known as the Prince of Peace. And so maybe today, Maybe today you're carrying some weight in your life, some burdens that just feel so heavy that you don't know what to do with, that you're not sure what, what to do. Maybe you can just lay them down. Maybe you really do need to get baptized and go into the waters of baptism and come out, but maybe also you need God's spirit to baptize you in a way that says, God, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I want to live a new life. I want to confess and to repent, to acknowledge and to turn. I want to be radically different. I want to know your peace. Because here's the reality of what we find in this first century Jewish carpenter. Jesus may not be the Savior you and I were looking for, but he is desperately the one we need. And so today, if you know him, if you have come to know him, right, there, there were cards all throughout this room when you came in, and those were on purpose, by the way. Uh, and if you didn't get one, there's more available in the back, uh, also on purpose. Right? So like today, here's where you're going to wake up. Man, I'm so glad I know Jesus. I've received his peace. Like I, I know that whatever I go through in life, he is near to me. So here's what the invitation is. We believe God is for you, that he's for all people. For God so loves the world, that includes everyone. But we think God most often works through relationship in people that we know and love. It's been true in my life. Probably true in yours. And so here's the invitation. We're not... We're not trying to be extra flashy with this. We're trying to think, hey, who are the four people in your life that God might be laying on your heart to pray for? Who are the four people in your life that God might be challenging to invite to come in to be a part of the life of the church? Who are the four people that you need to do a better job of loving? Who are the four people in your life that you'll like, and if you're like, well, I don't even know four people that don't know Jesus. Well, then that's also the problem. You need to know four people at least, right? Like that's, we all should do that. 
And how do we invest in people? And not because we might get something in return. And not because they might choose to come to church. Although we can hope for that. We hope they come to know Jesus. We, we desperately long for that. But we're going to love them for love's sake because Christ compels us to. And so who are the four people in your life? Right, we've talked starting January 22nd, we'll offer a second service. Um, and this is part of why, because are you, who are the four people that you are inviting to be a part of the life of the church and create space for us to invest in other people who we love? And so who are the four people that God's calling you to love, to invest in, and to invite? And maybe, just maybe, even to tell your story about the way Jesus has changed But I don't want to miss this opportunity today to remind you of this. If you find yourself going, man, my life just feels chaotic and a mess, and I don't know what's next. Then I want to remind you that God comes to us as we are where we are. He comes in desires and goes, hey, like, I, I don't care about your past. Like, I just want you to know I can change you. I can transform you. You can receive my spirit, which gives life. And you can know life to its full. And what you've gone through doesn't have to be the defining characteristic of your life. But my love, my grace, my mercy, that can be what defines you and can be who you are. And then you can know whose you are. So this is the invitation for you and I to receive the life that God has for us, to receive his spirit in such a way that it changes the very essence of who we are so that we become people like Jesus, defined by the very love of God. Because God is for you. God's for the world. And he loves you and I more than words could express and desires to give his life for you and I. We can know the fullness of life in him. So that's the invitation for you and I today. This second Sunday of Advent, this awaiting or arrival or expectation about what is to come. Jesus is waiting and longing for you and I to trust our whole life and all eternity to him. And so that's the invitation for you and I to receive the peace of God this day. We pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you might be near to us. We ask that we might sense your peace in the midst of all the things that we're going through in life, that we might find whatever pictures we have painted of Jesus, that our picture would be most shaped by what we find of Jesus in the Gospels, that when what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record, that those would be for us the image of who you are. That we would find ourselves drawn to you in ways that do change who we are. That we might receive your life that leads to life. That we might come to know you. That we would be people who our lives bear fruit. That we would be willing to confess and repent. That we would be willing to lay down whatever it is that has hindered us. So Father, will you help us this day? become more and more your unique people so radically defined by your love. And if we've never decided to receive your love, to live a life following after you, to come to know the joy that can be found in the midst of whatever the circumstance, to know the peace that surpasses all understanding, may we decide today that we're going to follow Jesus with our life. May we confess, may we repent, may we come to the place where we say Jesus is 
And so, Father, we ask today that we might be people who receive your peace. We pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name we pray.